Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents, presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for tuning in with us here to the four o'clock hour here on Dollars and Cents. Appreciate so much you making the time to do that as we give attention to and perhaps even spark some conversation regarding items of financial importance. Now, you know, as a previous listener to Dollars and Cents, we're talking on any number of subjects here. We're we're looking at things on a macro, global kind of level, if you will, with some regularity here, talking about what's happening in the world around us and attempting to understand the best ways that we can, how it affects us in terms of our own financial spaces. But in doing so, you recall, again, as a previous listener to Dollars and Cents, that, again, nothing that we're talking about here is intended as a specific recommendation for you, meaning that uh, as we're looking at specific strategies, we're sometimes looking at companies, looking at company earnings, probably going to talk about that a little bit more today here on Dollars and Cents as we're really on the tail end of the most common uh, fourth quarter earnings season, at least insofar as the calendar is concerned, that in doing so, again, that we're not intending it as a specific recommendation for you. We strongly, strongly recommend that you reach out to your tax advisor, to your financial advisor, or if you'd like to reach out to us at North Main Financial to talk about your particular financial situation and to see if there are ways in which we might be able to be helpful to you, happy to do that. Online, you can find us at northmainfinancial.com. That's north like the direction, main like the street, financial.com. Northmainfinancial.com. We have a contact page on there. Leave us an email address or a phone number. Let us know the most preferred and desirable ways for us to contact you again at northmainfinancial.com. Well, thank you so much again for tuning in to this week's version of Dollars and Cents. As I mentioned, my name is Joshua Doby. I'm a certified financial planner or CFP professional. If you'd like to give us a buzz here in the studio, here at WSIC, love to hear from you. Can't promise that we're going to get on your uh, specific question today, but I promise if I can't get to it today, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to get to it on a future show. So please feel free to call in here to the studio, 844-STUDIO-4. That's 844-788-3464, 844-788-3464. If you'd like to call into the studio here at WSIC to get on the show and, and talk about what may be on your mind, I can't speak into, obviously, your particular situation, but if you're seeing things on the headlines or if you're seeing the kinds of things that are out there uh, in the financial universe over which you have questions, we're getting to the end of the calendar here. We're getting a lot of questions right now at North Main Financial. Very common. Happens every year around this time. We're going to be talking about some of those year-end things as we work our way through the show here, especially as we're looking at those things which are calendar-specific and then also those kinds of things which you need to perhaps keep in mind relative to your financial situation a little bit later on in the show. Again, that's a little bit of a teaser. I want you to hang around because we're going to have some good stuff here. But let's get into what's hot. First segment as uh, as has become our custom here on Dollars and Cents and, and talking about the kinds of things that uh, that probably are dotting your headlines or if you're looking at business news kinds of things. I, I got to start with one of the most obvious ones. And I do that because if you've got a 401k, you got a portfolio, especially if you've been invested more at the aggressive end of the universe when it comes to the investing uh, end of things, stocks, funds, ETFs, if you're looking at that end of the universe, you probably have at least seen it. Hopefully you've experienced it, but uh, but has been the significant increase in our most popular indexes just this month. So as of the time of this, this live broadcast or as of the time of this recording, if you happen to listen to the podcast, uh, end of things. We've had a big November 
We really have. And, and I say that not because everybody's done well or because that may be your experience, but using the most popular indices that are out there, S&P 500 Index, Dow Jones Industrial Average, NASDAQ Composite, it's been a big November. Now, I say that in, in line and in context, the fact that September and October, not so good. Happens that way. You know that. The first seven months of the year, we went sprinting through the end of July. Uh, it was uh, was pretty rosy uh, as far as performance was concerned. August, pretty flatline. September, October, not so fun when you look at the most popular indexes. And then in November, and I've had this question more times than I can count here over the last couple of weeks, uh, why did we move up in November? I'll talk a little bit about that more later on in the show here. Uh, but I, it's it's kind of interesting to watch it, 8 to 10% in one month. Uh, again, very interesting to see that kind of thing. I, I don't think anybody who's looking at it uh, uh, with some significance, or at least in an ongoing kind of way, certainly would have predicted that kind of positive movement in our indices here over the last couple of weeks, but we've seen it 8 to 10% in terms of how you measure it. And so when we're looking at the kinds of things that are what's hot, I mean, certainly your portfolio might be hot. If you're uh, invested in index-related ETFs or funds, or if you were invested more in the aggressive end of the investment universe, certainly that's one of the things that uh, that would be high on your radar screen, and it's been a good month for you. Good, uh, good for you. Glad for that. Second item here on what's hot, I guess I got to, I, I, so I talk about what's positive here. We got to talk a little bit about some things that aren't so rosy. Home sales. And when I talk about domestic home sales, domestic uh, meaning it here in the U.S., and uh, speaking uh, most specifically to the residential end of things, uh, I'm talking about the number of units which are moving. Now, if you've been tracking anything here on dollars and cents or on your own uh, relative to what has been happening in the interest rate market, you know that mortgages, mortgage rates for new mortgages have increased significantly here over the last year and a half. And that's been a derivative function. I can't call it a direct function, but it's been a derivative function of what the Federal Reserve has done here over the last year and a half, as uh, they have raised the overnight lending rate, which has a whole bunch of corresponding effects associated with it. And one of those has been the increase uh, or the raising of mortgage rates. Right now, and you're in the seven and a half, seven and three quarters percent range on average for a 30-year fixed mortgage. So that has cooled down the number of houses which are selling. Now, Separate data point, the pricing on houses has not fallen all that much, which is kind of interesting because very often when we see higher higher mortgage rates, we'll see a drop in the prices in the overall residential housing market. We really haven't seen that. Certainly here in the Lake Norman region, that hasn't been the case. Uh, pricing has remained very strong, at least to this point. But the number of units moving, meaning that the number of units, first of all, in inventory, the number of units out there available for sale or for purchase, uh, depending upon your, your side of the equation uh, has been significantly smaller. And so there have been fewer units which have been transacted, meaning fewer units which have been sold in the residential housing market. Actually, when you look at it across the country, we're at about a 13-year low right now in terms of the number of units which have been moved. So we really have to go back to really the residual ends of the 2008-2009 financial crisis to see a time when this, um, this small of a number of units in terms of residential houses have actually been transacted. Now, that's one data point. And that's why I started out by saying that actually, if you look at the pricing, you look at the sales pricing relative to these units, it's not 
uh, dropping particularly because inventory is so low. There's so few houses which are actually on the market, not just here in the Lake Norman region, but looking around the country. The inventory is so incredibly low that there just hasn't been a lot of transactions. So there just aren't a whole lot of houses available for sale. And uh, and because of that, because you don't need as much of a demand element in order to keep those smaller number of units moving, that has created a space where pricing has remained very, very strong on a relative basis. So, so I'm saying that to say really just from an FYI kind of standpoint or really just to make you aware that that kind of thing is out there. But we're watching it in conjunction with a number of different things because one of the things that, frankly, on my end of things, as I'm looking at data across the board that has kept the housing market strong, is the fact that we have unemployment, which is still incredibly low on an historical basis. So when we're looking at that, we're looking at relatively low unemployment, we're looking at relatively few houses on the market, even with higher interest rates when it comes to mortgages, of course, we're going to stay pretty strong. And, uh, and so that's what we're watching. Now, is that going to continue? Here into, into uh, 2024, is that going to continue to be in that kind of space? Is unemployment going to continue to remain strong? Those are the kinds of data points that we're watching closely. No way to know with perfection in advance of, uh, of experiencing that time, but there are a number of other data points that we're watching, and we're going to be talking about that more in the second, third, and fourth segments here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. Appreciate so much you tuning in. Hang with us here as we go to break here on WSIC News Talk Now. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us into the second quarter football reference there. Uh, producer Bill shared with me a, a very interesting, I, would, I won't call it anecdotal, I'll call it primary uh, point for us to keep in mind as those of us who are relentless football fans, especially of our Carolina Panthers. Producer Bill, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you indicated to me before we went on air that our Carolina Panthers still at this point, late in the season, I'm, I'm going to call this point late in the season for this data point, late in the season are mathematically eligible not only to be in the playoffs, but to host a, 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 to a, host. a, a playoff game. Yes. It's, it's not over till it's over. I'll, I'll, steal, I'll steal Yogi Berra. Absolutely. Uh, no, and, and, but keep in mind, yes. it's just one data point. It, it is what it is what, and we don't like to extrapolate here, uh, especially especially. But well, there is a chance. There, there. So you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, that's I love it. I mean, I mean, hope springs eternal. Let's uh, let's keep going. Every week is an opportunity uh, for us here. No, I'm not going to tell you what the Panthers' record is. I'm also not going to dwell on some of the challenges that we've had here in the uh, in the past week. But if you follow the Panthers, you know what I'm talking about. But we still have a chance, and that's what we're looking at for this coming week. Opportunity uh, ahead of us here. As, uh, as we get into <laughs> to the weekend football. I do love this time of the year. My goodness, whether you're talking about professional football, college football, but gosh, this is fun. This is uh, th- this is just a great time of the year, and you combine it with the holidays. I mean, what's not to like? All right, so here we go. Second quarter here on Dollars and Cents. You know this. If you're listening to Dollars and Cents, you're going to get a lot of football during football season. And uh, But let's get into uh, to the second second quarter of things here. I'm, I'm going to uh, – be- I don't think I can – overlook it, especially because we're just beyond the end of the Thanksgiving holiday here, staring at the Christmas holiday. And uh, and so we really need to legitimately uh, at least remark on and perhaps even give some commentary towards uh, the Christmas retail season. We're in it. Once you get beyond Thanksgiving, you get Black Friday, you get Small Business Saturday, you get Cyber Monday. We're going we're gonna to fill up the week here before too long here following Thanksgiving in uh, in describing what's going on here. But, uh, but it's pretty interesting 
initial feedback from some of our large data collection center uh, kinds of folks here with regards to consumer spending. Now, Producer Bill, are you are you a Black Friday spender, shopper, Cyber Monday? Are you anything along those lines? I am I am not a uh, Black Friday shopper. No. Okay. All right. I will so, browse on Cyber Monday. I see. All right. I am a small business. Saturday, uh, small business Saturday, abs all, all all day every day. Yes. Certainly not not just on Small Business Saturday. Great point. But uh, but but so but so many opportunities to be able to support our small businesses because for so many of them, especially small businesses. I mean, it's true for the big box retailers as well, but especially for our small businesses, this is a critical time of the year uh, on the retail end of things, where so much of the year's uh, opportunity comes in a very condensed time frame. Just kind of the nature of it as we get into the Christmas retail season, but. Uh, but uh, producer Bill, I, I can't disagree with you. So you're not one of those uh, persons who is out sleeping uh, in front of Best Buy uh, before uh, before it opens, say at whatever it is, five o'clock. Or maybe it's open at midnight. It used to, it used to be open at midnight. Right. Uh, no, that, not me. You're not that guy. Neither no. am I. I'm Still fine. recovering from it. Beautiful Thanksgiving. Well, that see that, and that's the best way to do it on right. your on your couch uh, right. is is the best way. Not not uh, not freezing in so, in front of some big box uh, retailer. But anyhow, I'm saying all of that to say. Some of the initial data that we saw, uh, that we have seen, and we are continuing to see, relative to the to the kickoff, the unofficial, maybe official, uh, kickoff of the Christmas retail season. It seems like it starts early and earlier, but uh, some pretty positive figures. And I'll and I'll be the first to raise my hand that I wasn't anticipating such a strong start to the Christmas retail season because of the ways in which we have so many headwinds against the consumer right now. Uh, whether you're talking about higher interest rates, whether you're talking about inflation, whether you're talking about Elevated credit card debt. Whether you're talking about um, the start, the restart of uh, of federal student loan payments, uh, all of those kinds of things. Higher mortgages, uh, mortgage rates, higher rents, all of those kinds of things, which which put a stress on the uh, on the budgets of our consumers. Didn't start out weak. That's for sure. I mean, uh, Adobe Analytics, one of one of the big data warehouses that uh, that puts out some some data, put out uh, an increase in spending year over year. So this would have been compared to 2022, which frankly wasn't weak either. So we're not we're not comparing against a weak data point here, which sometimes is the case. We say, well, there's been a big gain while well, we were actually recovering from a from a low. Not true here. 7.8 percent, 7.8 percent increase year over year, according to Adobe Analytics uh, out there. That's uh, that's saying that the increase in the amount of consumer spending overall, uh, increasing uh, 7.8% year over year. Now, you have to take that a little bit in context in terms of the style. So I talked, joking with producer Bill here about actually going to a store as compared to looking at uh, possibilities for purchasing online. So what we've seen in delineating those two points to this point has been a fairly flat experience in terms of the in-person spending uh, in the store. Meaning that the number of folks who are going in, excuse me, the amount being spent, not talking about the number of persons, the amount being spent in this in-person store experience, pretty flat to maybe even slightly down, according to the data points. However, the online purchasing power or the online experience, those folks going online to purchase Christmas gift-related style things uh, here, uh, up, up over double digits. So that's how you get that 7.8% blended average in terms of what Adobe Analytics per, uh, put together in saying that uh, it has been a notable increase, but the driver of that growth to this point has been the online experience and folks just spending a lot online. Now, it's always interesting to me. And 
and I and I don't know that there is a perfect way to do this, but I you know what with how Google and Amazon and others collect data about us, I, who am I to disagree that uh, that they can? But it's always interesting to me. How does somebody determine, or how does anyone determine? How do these data warehouses determine whether I'm going online to buy for Christmas or whether I'm going online to buy because maybe I just want to have a uh, a new teddy bear? I mean, so how do they know whether I'm buying that teddy bear because maybe my teddy bear is worn out or because I'm buying that teddy bear to give as a gift? I don't know. But, I, you know, that Google, Amazon, all of these other entities know so much about us and our buying tendencies that who am I to disagree? They probably do know exactly where it's going and, uh, and the reasons that I'm buying it. But we're seeing so we're seeing that kind of that indication here, that's a positive kind of thing. I, I frankly think that it's uh, surprising, uh, just from my end, didn't anticipate that that was going to be the case relative to the consumer. I anticipated the consumer was going to be a little bit lighter. We still have some runway to tread uh, in terms of the entire Christmas retail experience, so we're going to get, get, be getting some additional data points. We're going to bring them to you, obviously, on subsequent uh, dollars and cents shows, but wanted to share that with you. Positive start. Encouraging to see that from the consumer. All right. Now, as, uh, as we do a lot here, in addition to talking about football-related sorts of things, which definitely have some financial and economic impact. We also talk a lot about food here on Dollars and Cents. And uh, yes, there are financial impacts to food, but frankly, we just like to eat a lot here as well. So we're going to be talking about food here. McDonald's, all right? Now, this is not me advocating that you should buy McDonald's stock, sell McDonald's stock, hold McDonald's stock. None of that. You know that. Everybody's situation is unique. You definitely want to make your decision based upon your own unique financial situation. But I, I got to bring this point out again because we like to eat, and and I, I'm not. I, I got to disclose, I'm not a huge McDonald's fan. I'm not the kind of guy that goes through the McDonald's drive-through all that much. However, I am a person who eats and enjoys eating, and I do have to bring this out because I, th- I think it's relatively uh, important because of McDonald's. Um, pervasiveness throughout uh, our society. By the way, about 13,000 stores, in case you're wondering. 13,000 McDonald's here in the, in, in the U.S., a lot of stores. You know that. Pretty much every exit off an interstate, it seems like, has, uh, has a McDonald's or something close to it. But recently, they have begun to make a number of tweaks or adjustments to their hamburgers. And not just the regular hamburgers or cheeseburgers or Big Mac. I mean, all of them across the board. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at it on a scientific level, they have made approximately 50, five, zero adjustments to their hamburgers. And the reason for that is because we have a number of different competitors who are beginning to, no pun intended, eat into uh, McDonald's margins in terms of the offerings that they have. So if you've been to a space, which producer Bill, I'd like to hear from you if you have uh, as well. I, I certainly have been. I mean, I, I'm all blaming all my young daughters because they like these kinds of things. I may have had something to eat here as well. But things like Shake Shack or things like Five Guys or things like Red Robin, who all are in the burger business, which by the way, in case you're wondering, $136 billion a year, uh, fast food burgers here in the U.S. 136, how many hamburgers you got to buy for $136 billion a year? I mean, that, I, I mean we're, we're, we're a long ways away from the dollar hamburger, but that, that's still a lot of hamburgers. I don't care who you are. Now, producer, Bill, are, are you are you a hamburger connoisseur? When in, uh, or, or I you, am a fan. I am a fan, okay. 100%. Yeah, but you're, pro- you're probably more healthy. You're probably looking for a healthy. I try to be. I try seat. to be, but I am yeah. I'm no angel. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you're just trying to make me feel better about myself because I love I love all this stuff. I do. Yeah. I, I really do. But again, McDonald's making those adjustments or, or um, making those pivots relative to its approach because of some of the competition that's uh, that's out there. Now, understand McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, they still dominate the fast food hamburger market. This is not about them losing the, the dominant share, but beginning to understand, and this is also very important to keep in mind when we're looking at the economics, financial impacts on uh, not only these companies, but also in terms of our experience. When you're looking at McDonald's, you, you're able to buy a hamburger in the 2 3 $4 range if you would choose to do that. You look at a lot of these other entities, it's 5 6 7 8 $9 even more for buying a hamburger as well. And their sell point, whether you're talking about Five Guys or Red Robin or Shake Shack or similar kinds of entities, their sell point is that they're offering up a higher uh, uh, higher quality, excuse me, of hamburger in that experience, and folks are buying it. And and that's really what's interesting relative to the marketplace aspect of things, to where now you're looking at a group like McDonald's who's looking to upgrade or looking to increase or improve what their offerings are in, in order to be able to attract that kind of buyer, which is willing to spend more for a certain kind of, uh, of hamburger experience. Now, uh, again, if you're like me, sometimes you're looking for a, for an elevated experience, and sometimes you're just hungry. And, uh, and so the it's kind of it's going to be kind of interesting to watch the the dynamic here, because when you're looking at where they're going to um, move, especially when you're looking at a company as large and as influential as McDonald's, where they're going to move, does that mean that the consumer is willing to spend more for that experience? Certainly, you would think with that kind of movement uh, that they're that they're saying there's enough of a marketplace there, or maybe there's enough of a growth opportunity because you're certainly looking at higher margins in that kind of uh, consumer. There's enough of a growth opportunity there that it might be worth it. And so we're going to continue to watch that. That's an important thing where folks are spending their money, whether they're going out to eat more, whether they're going out to eat less and how they're spending it is a big deal. Well, friends, thank you so much for hanging with us in the first half of Dollars and Cents. We're going to take a break and come back here just quickly here on WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us into the second half here, uh, here on Dollars and Cents, football reference. If, if you don't, I, I know not everybody likes football and that's okay. I, I even have folks in my own family who share my last name that don't uh, particularly enthusiastic about football. Uh, well, frankly, because I, I think... Yeah, everybody, including the dog, in uh, in my house beyond me is female. So uh, maybe not as enthusiastic about uh, about the football, but it, it is that time of the year. Where is it? If you are a football fan, if that is something that you enjoy, this is a lot of fun. It really is a great time of the year. I'm not even talking about bowl season yet. We're going to get into bowl season here in a couple of weeks on the college football scene. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. Let's uh, let's have some fun. All right. Uh, thank you so much for hanging with us into the second half here on Dollars and Cents. saying, what does that have to do with financial or economic things? Big deal. I mean, especially when you look at the NFL. I, you know, I used to say the NFL. It's true with big-time college football as well. Uh, producer Bill, I mean, when you're looking at, I, I mean, it's an easy target, right? But when you look at some of these television contracts for these conferences, when you look at the payouts for these uh, year-end bowl games, when you look at at the salaries that these big-time uh, college coaches are are, are being paid, I, I, I don't know how anybody could say that it's uh, that it's just about student athletes. I mean, this is big. Big business, big business. Um, I know it's pressure. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that everybody could do it. But man, lots of money, lots of business. I like the payoff for the coaches that get fired. Uh, I mean, 
I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know who Jimbo Fisher's agent is, right. but 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 that guy just just won. Right. I, I mean, he he figured, and he won when he signed when he got the contract sure. on uh, on that end of things. But holy, seventy five million? Seventy five, yeah. I mean. I, I don't know. I'm, we're doing it wrong. I right. mean, I, I, obviously, we're doing it wrong. Uh, right. Where, where you get fired and you get $75 million, we're, mm. we're, we're doing it wrong. That's mm. an interesting data point. It, it, it is a very interesting <laughs> data. And it's, it's really not by itself. I mean, maybe not everybody's getting paid $75 million whenever they get fired. But certainly when you look at these big-time college coaches, I mean, they're paid millions of dollars. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everybody can do it. That's not, not the implication at all. But it, it is amazing to me the amount of money involved. And, and when you look at these television contracts, it's no longer millions with an M. It's billions with a B. And it, it is amazing, amazing in the band element that's, uh, that, that's coming from that. So anyhow, all right. So, so when I talk about football, yeah, I am talking about economics as well. So don't, don't get too, off, uh, too, too uh, far away from here. Let's, uh, let's pivot, though. This is the time we talk about what to know uh, here as we look at the third quarter uh, here on this uh, week's version of Dollars and Cents. What to know is our segment where we're talking about just some broad general ideas when you're looking at the financial standpoint of things for that many folks need to keep in mind. Now, does that mean it's relevant to you? No, not necessarily. But we have a lot of questions about these what to know segments, you know, general questions about, okay, is this something that's important to me? The very least is true is that hopefully we're spurring some thought if it may be relevant to you, if it's something that you've utilized in the past that you're currently doing, you may do in the future. That's really the idea behind this "what to know" segment when it comes to our uh, to our personal finances. And today's uh, subject, it's and it's because we're getting close to the end of the year, getting a lot of questions on this, and it's very natural, it's very appropriate that we do, and it has to do with the broad idea of charitable giving. Now, charitable giving can take on a lot of different forms. We've talked about it on previous shows here on Dollars and Cents. We're bringing it up again. I warned you, I'm going to bring it up several more times here before the end of the calendar year. And that's because of the first data point that we're talking about here with charitable giving. When we're talking about this tax year, your charitable gift has to be, in most instances, completed before the end of the calendar year. Let me say that again. If you want for a charitable gift to be applicable to this tax year, meaning to most tax years when we're talking about personal finances or personal tax returns are set on the calendar year, January 1 through December 31, when we're talking about charitable gifts being applicable to this particular tax year, in almost all instances, they need to be completed by December 31st. So we're getting beyond, uh, we are at this point beyond Thanksgiving, we're sprinting towards Christmas, it's very easy for those kinds of things to get overlooked. That's why we're fielding a lot of questions about it. That's why we're reminding a lot of folks who are charitably inclined that this is definitely a data point that they want to keep in mind. And and, and the reason for that is because there are so many tax efficient ways for you to make charitable gifts. Now, we're not going to touch on all of them here on this version of Dollars and Cents. This is just the broad idea, the broad subject. There are nuances for each individual financial situation. There are particular strategies that can be tweaked, altered, changed a little bit in order to accommodate where folks are if you know what you're doing and you're doing the correct planning. So these are just broad ideas. But what's very true is the calendar aspect of things. Second big item when it comes to charitable giving here and the kinds of things to keep in mind. And that has to do with the gifting of appreciated assets. Now, this takes on very different tints for very for, for different people. And when I say it takes on a different tint, that means that depending upon the asset which you are gifting, there's a different style process that goes along with it. Let me draw out a couple of examples here, which are most often used. Very often, uh, folks are gifting appreciated shares of common stock, meaning 
meaning they have held stock in a portfolio, especially, uh, and I'm speaking specifically to non-retirement, so not an IRA, not a 401k, non-retirement accounts. They've held that stock for some measure of time. They may have a significant gain, it's called an embedded gain inside of that uh, particular holding. They don't need it and don't anticipate needing it, so they want to utilize it or a portion of it as a charitable gift to a 501c3. That happens to be the section of the Internal Revenue Code, which governs uh, many of our tax-exempt organizations, not all, but many of our tax-exempt organizations. They would like to gift a portion or all of that position to that entity, and, and in doing so, a couple of things can happen. A, they don't need to sell the shares. They gift the shares directly so they don't actually incur the capital gains event of selling the shares. And then secondly, when the um, uh, the 501c3 or, or, ta- or a tax-exempt entity sells the shares, they are a tax-exempt entity, so they don't pay the capital gains tax on it either. So very uh, advantageous as far as that's concerned. Lastly, in terms of the donor, the person who actually gifted the shares, they may be, depending upon their particular financial situation, able to deduct a portion or all of the fair market value of the gift that they gave to that tax-exempt organization. So a lot of benefits, if you will, in gifting appreciated assets. Now, that has to do with, uh, uh, with gifting stock, which usually has a very easily ascertainable fair market value. I'll just use an example. If you're looking at Microsoft stock, pretty easy to understand what the price per share or the current market value per share is of, of Microsoft stock. So pretty easy to ascertain, which I'm drawing that uh, that differential or that dichotomy compared to what I'm going to say next. Sometimes there are folks who want to gift real estate to a tax-exempt entity. Now, in doing that, a little bit different because with most real estate, you cannot determine a fair market value just by looking at a stock ticker. You just can't for the obvious reasons. Uh, most pieces of real estate are not part of any sort of tradable entity. So there is an appraisal process and there is an agreement process in terms of the fair market value of that real estate. That also is true for cars. That's true for boats and for other uh, kinds of capital assets, fine art, uh, gold, uh, precious metals, those kinds of things, which need to have an appraisal process done with it in order for it to be deducted appropriately if it's applicable on the donor's tax return. Now, it may or may not be. And it may not be for all of it. It may only be for a portion of it, depending upon that person's total taxable income for a given year. So there are a lot of factors involved here. Again, not getting too deep into the nuance, but if we're talking about gifting other kinds of assets, then there is an appraisal process. So there is an agreement process in terms of the fair market value of what it is that's being gifted to that charity or that tax-exempt organization. So very, very important that you go through that process. Very important that you do that in advance. That's why I'm talking about it now, because especially when you're talking about something that's not traded easily, like a piece of real estate or other capital asset, like fine art, like precious metals, it takes a little while to get to that uh, to that process being done and then being able to appropriately move it to the tax-exempt organization. And that tax-exempt organization may hold it, they may sell it, they may do all kinds of things with it, but, uh, but it's uh, at that point, it's under their purview because that asset is considered to be theirs. So again, very, very important when we're looking at it from, uh, from a charitable giving standpoint, what is it that makes the most sense if if you are charitably inclined. Third big item here in this segment where we're talking about charitable giving, and this has to do with folks who are over the age of 70 and a half 
and also have a retirement account, IRA, 401k, other pre-tax kind of account. Very, very important that you're aware that there is an opportunity up to $100,000 per person per year to gift directly from that IRA, from that 401k or other pre-tax retirement account to a charitable entity if you would so choose. The reason why that's so huge is that very often involves dollars which have never been taxed. So you've got a tax benefit for going into that retirement account. If you then gift from that retirement account to a charitable organization, you never pay tax on it because the charity doesn't pay tax on it either. So a very, very opportunistic way to be able to gift out of an IRA, out of a, a pre-tax re uh, retirement account in ways that, frankly, I mean, at least from my end of the universe here at North Main Financial, it's about the most tax efficient way to do anything from a charitable standpoint because you never pay tax on it going in and you don't have to pay tax on it going out either. So very, very opportunistic. Everybody who's over the age of 70 and a half and has a retirement account, definitely something to keep in mind when it comes to charitable giving. Well, friends, I appreciate you hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents as we bring the third quarter to a close. Hang with us as we go to break here on WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Fourth quarter here on Dollars and Cents. Appreciate your time. You're on the home stretch. 11 minutes, 22 seconds. 5 o'clock. If you're a 9 to 5 you're almost there. Hang with us. We're going to get you home uh, here talking about the markets here in the fourth quarter here. And, and I would be remiss, and this is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold Tesla, but I would be remiss. I, th I think we have to mention it, uh, that the Cybertruck producer bill. I don't know if you saw this. The Cybertruck uh, is uh, is finally going to be a reality. I, 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 I can't think of one EV, electric vehicle, that has had more anticipation than the Cybertruck, at least in recent memory. And uh, looks like we're going to get it if uh, if you got $60,000 hanging around uh, to uh, to be able to uh, to buy one. No so, problem. Okay. So maybe we'll get a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we'll get a Cybertruck. WSIC on the side. That's exactly yep. where I was going with it. Let's do a WSIC wrap around the Cybertruck. And, uh, you know, as long as we got a high-speed charger in the parking lot here, uh, that, uh, <laughs> right. that, Why not? that we'll be able to do that <laughs> kind of thing. So, but kind of interesting. A lot, lot of hype, a lot of noise on uh, on that kind of thing coming, uh, coming from Tesla. So if you're inclined uh, to EVs, which, by the way, just kind of a sidebar uh, when it comes to EVs. And we're seeing this across the board. Actually, General Mortar... General, excuse me, General Motors just came out uh, this week and said that they were going to start to pare back a little bit their investment in the EV end of things, which is very interesting uh, to me. By the way, Ford, Stellantis both said similar kinds of things. Uh, Toyota uh, also said similar uh, just in terms of paring back some of their investment in the electric vehicle uh, pursuits that they had because two years ago, it was exactly the opposite. It was it was almost as if auto manufacturers couldn't come out fast enough with enough dollars to say how they were going to convert some in some cases all of their fleet Volvo uh, or part of their fleet General Motors uh, to electric vehicle with some kind of date frame associated with it. That seems to have really cooled down, and I think in part now I'll say maybe completely because the buying intensity for electric vehicles has really quieted. Not not gone away. It's it's not something that has disappeared, but certainly in terms of the intensity of the buying of electric vehicles, we're seeing that slow down a lot. Uh, and, and you're seeing that especially I'm going to point to the domestic uh, auto manufacturers here, like General Motors, because they're 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 uh, sharing about their inventory levels with their electric vehicles being substantially higher than anticipated. Meaning they're not moving a lot of vehicle as many vehicles, I should say, off the lots as they anticipated, and so they're paring back, which they do. 
whenever buying intensity slows down. So very interesting to see that, especially again, compared to, and I'm chuckling because two years ago, it was almost like every other week where you saw another automobile manufacturer coming out saying about how they were going to switch most all of their manufacturing over electric vehicles within some ridiculously short timeframes. At least I thought they were ridiculously short because of, uh, of where we are in terms of our dependence on the internal combustion engine uh, right now. And the fact that we just don't have a whole lot of charging stations around the country. I mean, if you go on a long trip, it's one thing, kind of joked here about having a high-speed charging station here at the studio in the parking lot. Well, if you're just you know, going 10 or 15 miles from the parking lot, bringing it back to the parking lot each time, that's one thing. But boy, if you're going on a long trip, you're going on two, three, four, 500 miles or more, uh, you got to plan pretty strategically to be able to hit some charging stations and you better let some time to sit there, even on the superchargers. Sometimes you got to wait an hour or two just to make sure you get a full charge on that kind of thing. So anyhow, anecdotal, but certainly relative to the markets. Let's talk markets here. You heard me talk in the first quarter. If, uh, if, if you were uh, listening here on Dollars and Cents here in the first quarter of today's show, if not, you can find us on all the socials. You can go back and listen to it. We were talking about the market movements here over the last the last couple of weeks, and specifically this month of November. And it's it's been substantial. We, we have seen, as measured by our most popular indexes, we have seen some substantial movements here over the last couple of weeks, 8 to 10% uh, just since the 1st of November. Uh, that That's huge. Now, in doing that, or in saying that, or in looking at that, and understanding what that means, recognize that that doesn't mean that every company has appreciated 8 to 10%. Very, very important when you're looking at stock indexes. We have this conversation all the time at North Main Financial. In understanding you know, when the stock index moves, what does that actually mean? Meaning, which companies are actually moving? I'm going to use the S&P 500 index. It's an easy target for this conversation. But when we're looking at what the S&P 500 index means, it's what's called a market cap weighted index. Meaning that the larger companies move that index in larger ways. Larger the company, larger the movement. Smaller the company in terms of market capitalization, smaller the impact on the index. Apple's an easy target. If Apple has a great year, one of the largest companies on the planet, it's going to move that index substantially. So what we're, what we're observing here, and again, I'm just using the S&P 500 because it's so widely quoted and so widely used as a benchmark, what we're really seeing in terms of movement in the S&P 500, uh, 500 index is not the movement of 500 companies. Yes, we are. But in terms of the substantive movement or what's actually making the positive gains in there, we're looking at about 11 companies, meaning the 11 largest companies that are out there. And we're looking at mostly technology companies almost across the board. And certainly if you're looking at in terms of positive movements this year, the positive movements are coming from our technology companies. That's what's moving the indexes. When you look at other companies like in the oil and energy sector, Chevron, Texaco, BP, Amico, Royal Dutch Shell, not very positive, uh, actually in some cases, notably negative for the year in terms of their movements. If you're looking at pharmaceuticals, I'm going to put, I'm going to set aside those that have to, that are in the uh, obesity address be, uh, business because they've been spectacular. Eli Lilly certainly has had an unbelievable year uh, in, in, in Novo Nordisk, uh, also very substantial in terms of its gains this year, but otherwise pharmaceutical, pretty modest to negative uh, in terms of performance. Utilities this year, uh, pretty negative in terms of its of, of their performance. So again, when we're looking at what's happening in the overall market aspect of things, we have a very small segment, relatively speaking, of companies which are doing fantastically well. And we have very broad swaths of the market, or certainly of the tradable market or of the publicly traded market right now, which are not doing well. But that gets covered up whenever we're looking at our indexes and we look at them and say, well, they're very positive, so it must be a very good year. Well, okay, if you're invested in 
a fund or an ETF, which which perfectly tracks that index, yeah, it, chances are you've done all right. But if you're actually looking at what companies or what the market, and I'm putting that in air quotes for those of you who are watching us here on the socials, uh, when you're looking at what the actual market is doing, you're probably talking about just a handful of things at this point. And again, that's not everybody's experience. I'm talking about it in terms of large generalities, but it's important for you to keep in mind that when we're looking at the indexes, what actually is moving them? What actually is happening in the marketplace? So I'm saying that to tee up what I'm going to say next, because we get this question, I don't know, once an hour uh, in North Main Financial. All right, what's next? So we know where we've been. Now what's next? Well, of course, I don't know uh, what that is. Sorry to prick the bubble for you there. But when we're looking at what's uh, what, what, what's out there in front of us, we got some headwinds. We really do. Uh, it, it's. Uh, but I'll, I'll say, first of all, as I said earlier here on Dollars and Cents, that I've been surprised by the strength of the consumer to this point, meaning the strength of the consumer in terms of buying power, even as we're getting into the... Uh, uh, the first official uh, pieces of the Christmas retail season. I shared with you on previous shows here on Dollars and Cents. I was concerned about where the uh, the consumer would end up. So far, so good uh, in terms of that. But we're watching it very closely because a lot of headwinds that, uh, that that are sitting out there. It's uh, it's also on our radar screen. The Federal Reserve is going to meet here in a couple of weeks, and they're going to be um, meeting again about the possibility of either uh, increasing rates or keeping rates or cutting rates. At this point, the market is anticipating that the Federal Reserve is not going to do anything, meaning they're not going to raise rates, they're not going to cut rates, they're going to keep things as they are. Uh, and I think in part that, and this is just my commentary now for this particular uh, data point, I think in part that is what has moved the market in such a positive direction here in November, that as they as we came out of October with uh, some indications, in, you know, if you can read the proverbial tea leaves when it comes to what the, the various uh, Fed board governors were saying, that, uh, that they were done or they were close to the end and in some cases maybe uh, indicating that they were at the end of the uh, of the raising cycle that uh, that that's why uh, the market took off in the ways that it did uh, here in November no way to know that for certain but certainly that could be a data point or certainly a collection of uh, similar or like kind data points that would indicate that that may be the case. Um, still got a lot that's in front of us though. And that and that's why uh, maybe I'm, I'm looking a gift horse in the mouth here to be uh, metaphorical again, uh, that I'm looking at uh, where we've been here in November and saying, well, maybe, maybe not a reason to get enthusiastic or excited. And I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So I usually am ready to run off to the races here. But, uh, but I also want to call things what they are. And, uh, and so I think that's probably one of the reasons why uh, there's been such positive movements here. So I'm saying all of that to say, be cautious, be careful. If you've had 8, 10, 12% positive movement in one month, I mean, again, I'm not trying to, to dampen the parade, but recognize that's not normal. That's not, that's not how the markets move. So maybe take a little bit of the cream off the top. I feel like I'm using a metaphor here about every other sentence. But, uh, but literally, I mean, you, you want to take some of that cream off the top. You want to be able to scrape some of those gains, perhaps put it into something that, uh, that doesn't have any downside risk associated with it. That's just good and prudent portfolio management, uh, especially when you get way ahead of the curve or way ahead of what you would anticipate as far as a normalized return inside of your portfolio. That's one of the things we see at North Main Financial a lot as well where we're looking at, you know, how folks manage their portfolio, uh, they usually buy late, meaning after things have appreciated, and, and, and they sell early. 
And, and, and that's, it's just a natural human tendency, right? Things have been going up, so we think they're going to continue to go up. And so we, we, we go ahead and, 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 and buy it. And, uh, and then things are going down. And instead of understanding it's a cycle, we sell out and we lock in our losses uh, on that as, as a buying public. We really do do that. So, all right, lightning fast recap here as we're approaching the end of uh, this week's dollars and cents. Let's talk about just very quickly a remembrance on where we've been from a market standpoint. Lots of gains in a short amount of time. Maybe take advantage of some of those gains lock them into something that doesn't go down in value. Looking at us overall as uh, as as a market, as economy, we've got some headwinds in front of us. We're going to have to see what that means for the consumer. That's a big deal. It's a big chunk of our economy, of our GDP, understanding what that means in terms of where we are going for next year. And I would argue that that's always the kind of question that we're, that we're trying to answer here, but certainly important to keep that in mind. Well, friends, uh, as always, I appreciate so much your time in listening to us here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm Joshua Adobe, and until the next time, I'll look forward to chatting with you soon. The new 1059 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, W290DK, Mooresville, Lake Norman, North Charlotte.